I've been by a building here, uh, I think maybe when I was preaching in uh, Mount Pleasant or somewhere near here, um, but never got to be here. So I'm thankful for that tonight. Appreciate the invitation. I wish my family could be here. They're with my dad at the hospital. And if I seem a little rattled tonight, it's just been a different day. So just bear with me. Um, I hadn't been realized. I was thinking, I'd seen Jeffrey. He's been to our home uh, at Sangins, and I've seen him at gospel meetings up in uh, uh, Cookville. And uh, But it's good to, to see him here. Hadn't put all the connection about where, where he's really supposed to be. So it's good to see him here. And uh, it's good to be here with, with Greg. You know, I'd heard Greg speak and uh, had heard him on the Internet, different things. Um, I think one of the first times I heard you was in Westview in Murfreesboro sometime when we were passing through. Maybe we were visiting with my mom and dad. But we had the privilege of having him and Cindy uh, to come to Tallahoma in the gospel meeting last year and just really enjoyed spending time with him. And uh, he is everything that you would think he would be when you heard him preach. He's just genuine, and I appreciate him and his work. I had met Joel uh, when uh, he had uh, was in the debate up in Hopkinsville, I guess in 2003. We were just coming through there, so it's good to see him again. Good to see a lot of you, new faces, and I uh, appreciate all your encouragement even so far tonight. But let's get into our study, and we want to tonight to turn to Galatians chapter 6, and our text will come from verses 7 and 8. Galatians chapter 6. 7 and 8. This is from the New American Standard Version. This is what I'll be reading from tonight. The reason I chose this text is fairly recently what I've been doing in my own study, and this is why we're going to do this now, just like you print this out and take and study it. And uh, so if the overhead didn't work, we could still just take our Bibles and do that right along. Uh, that's what we're going to do, just take and mark it up, just like we're studying what I like to do sometimes is take the passages that I think I know and then really study them. You know, this is the passage most everybody here tonight probably could quote. Uh, but it's those passages that almost become like buzz words, you know, or buzz passages to us that we, they become so familiar to us that we go right through in some of the words, at least myself, I think, do I really know what that means? <laughs> you know, I think we can get the gist of it very easily when we read it. And the, most of God's words like that, and I'm thankful for that, that God has written His Word in such a way that common people like me can read it and understand it. It was the common people that heard Jesus, and Jesus and the illustrations that He used used illustrations that were common to the people. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I can uh, read a passage like Ephesians chapter 3 and know that I can understand even the mysteries of Christ because Paul said I could. God's made it that way. And a lot of people come up with this idea that we can't understand the Bible. Really, it sounds like they're being humble, but really they're put, uh, being pretty arrogant and, and putting the blame on God. I mean, whose fault is it if we can't understand God's Word? Isn't it God's? If He wants all men to come to a knowledge of, be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, and He's all-powerful, that's a pretty unbeatable combination, isn't it? And if God is all-powerful and He wants us to know, He's going to write in such a way that even somebody like Paul Smithson can understand it. Um, when you look at this passage, it's that way as well. But it takes some study to really think about what he's saying. That's what we want to try to do tonight. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, it will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap 
eternal life. This is an admonition given by the Apostle, and the context here is the subject of making a contribution to the work of the Lord and knowing that as you do that, as you work toward doing what's good in the Lord's service, that you will in time receive a reward, that you'll harvest that reward. Um, he said, let the one, in verse 6, let the one who has taught the Word share all good things with him who teaches. He's talking about the good that we can do and being thankful for those who teach us and sharing with them. And, and in verse 9 and 10, he said, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we don't grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. So, do good and don't grow weary in doing good. It's easy to grow weary. But when we look at things like God looks at them, even as we face persecution, as James said in James chapter 1, that we can even count it all joys we face various trials. So, it's all how you look at it. And we need to look at things like God looks at it. And He looks at things a lot different than we do a lot of times. We look at things through the eyes of the world, we get discouraged. We get bent out of shape and we, we become anxious. But the Lord said, don't be anxious. He said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Paul said in the book of Philippians, don't be anxious. That's a hard command, isn't it? But you know that's just as much command as anything else? Don't be anxious. When you're anxious, it's one thing to be concerned, another thing to be anxious. Another thing to worry, isn't it? Now somebody said worry is like rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't get you anywhere. Worry, we worry about everything sometimes, but we're not supposed to. And it's sinful, it's doubtful to worry. Be anxious for nothing, and he says don't grow weary. And doing good, and while you have opportunity, do good to everybody. Everybody that you have, we don't have a, uh, the responsibility just to do good to those whom we choose. We're to even love our enemies. And we're to do good in every opportunity that we have, do good. And especially those in the household of faith, we're to show hospitality to them without complaint. And that's just as much a command as the other things we're to do for them. How much hospitality do we show? How much love and concern? You go to Romans 12, and it just talks about all kinds of things we can do for our brethren. All down through there. And really, all those things are something that everybody can do, no matter what you can do. Uh, little or a lot, you can do some of that. And all of us need to be busy doing it. He's in don't grow weary in that. So the apostle is urging us to do this, and he does so on the basis of a... Uh, Fix unalterable law. And uh, there it is. Uh, I don't know if you can see this as it's red. But that is, you're going to reap what you sow. Individual responsibility based on an unalterable, immutable law. That whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. And it's that way. God, that's just God's law. God set that forth in the physical realm from the very beginning. If you sow oats, you know what you're going to get, right? Oats. You're not going to get rye. Uh, you're not going to get wheat. So oats, you're going to get oats. So wheat, you're not going to get rye or oats. You're going to get wheat. That's the way it is. You're going to, you're going to reap what you sow. Is that way in the physical realm? God has made it that way in the spiritual realm. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. It's unalterable. And as we said, that applies not only physically but spiritually. I done pressed the wrong button. Let me go over here. This was backwards, the one we've got at home. All right. This one's really right, and ours is backwards, I think. But notice he said, whatever. Whatever. So that applies not only to the context of what he's talking about. In the context, he's talking about doing good, right? 
Don't grow weary in doing good because you'll reap what you sow. But not only applies to the good that we might do, it applies to everything. He says, whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And whatever is good or bad. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, what does it say? All of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For what reason? To be recompensed for the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. If you sow what's good, you'll reap what's good. If you sow what's bad, you'll reap what's bad. That's just God's law. And He wants us to know that we ought not be deceived about it. He says, my friends, God is not mocked. What's he saying? He said, don't think you can sow one thing and reap another. That's what he's saying. Don't think otherwise. It's easy to be deceived. It's easier to deceive yourself. What does it mean to deceive yourself? Well, it's just to think one thing. When you really know what it is, but you just you put that in the back of your mind, you, you convince yourself, we reason things out, thinking somehow that we can alter the way God has said it. But he says, don't, don't be deceived. How many times in the Scriptures we read it? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. First Corinthians, look at First Corinthians real quickly. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. You know, some people just think that they are able to do this very thing, that they can live one way and reap something else in the end. That you can sow one thing, reap something else. Look what he says in First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. He said, do you not know? We ought to know it. God tells us. God warns us. God doesn't want us to be lost. God doesn't want us to reap uh, eternal consequences of doing what's wrong. He sent His Son to die for us, and He warns us so that we might have eternal life. And He says, Do you not know, verse 9, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? There's a lot of people who don't want, don't want to hear that. There's some people who won't teach it. Some people just want to... They, they want a soft gospel. They want a soft message. And they don't want to ever hear anything about condemnation or somebody not entering the kingdom of God. You ever gone to some of those funerals? Whether there's preachers, I don't care what the person's ever done or what they hadn't done, he's going to preach them right into heaven. you got people like Joel Osteen, butter won't melt in his mouth. Oh, there's health and wealth. God wants you to be happy. In fact, you see that thing about his wife? Said, you know, God, uh, we're not here for God, we're here for us. Really? I thought we came to services. What services? What do you do at service? We come to serve. We don't come here to serve one another. And you don't come to be served. We come here to serve God above all and then serve one another, but not to come to serve ourselves. Some people don't like to hear this. He said, do you not know? The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. There it is. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, or homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Not going to happen. Do not be deceived. God's not mocked. And yet men think that they can do that very thing. that They go through life trampling down the, the law of God, the way of God thinking that somehow that they're going to be able to override God's plans and somehow come out okay in the end. But he said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to the flesh, he says, shall from the flesh reap corruption. Now think about that. He's still using this idea of sowing and reaping.
And he talks about, there I go again, sowing and sowing to the flesh. What is he talking about when he's talking about sowing to the flesh? He's using, again, this universal statement, this broad statement that whatever you sow, you shall, shall reap, and he's applying it to the spiritual realm, and he's using figures. A person, when he talks about sowing uh, to the flesh, when he's talking about sowing, he's not talking about literal sowing. You don't sow literally to the flesh or to the spirit. And he's not talking about literal sowing. He's figurative. He's talking about the deeds of daily life. But he's using that figure to get across something in our mind. Now, you don't see a lot of people sowing seed today. You might see somebody sowing a little seed in their, in their yard. And even then, they use a cyclone sower, don't most people. Occasionally, you'll see somebody that'll sow it with their hand. And some of us have done some of that. Back before tractors and, and no-till drills, uh, I used to even have a grain drill for my horses, you know. Folks have grain drills then. But before all that, people used to sow broadcast seed with their hand. And you just picture that in your mind. This is what he's trying to get in our mind as he's trying to get across this point. Here's a fellow, and he's got this sack slung across him. And he's got all the seed in there, and he's going through there, and he's sowing to the left, to the right, in front of him, all along. You know, he's sowing, leaving it all scattered along behind him. He's sowing his seed. The apostle's talking about a man's life. And every day, every step we take, we're sowing. We're sowing to the left, to the right, in front of us, all as we go. We're leaving it all scattered along behind us. As we go through life, what is it that we sow? Well, it's the words we speak, it's the deeds we do, it's the examples that we set, the efforts that we make, each thing, each ambition is scattered all along the pathway of life. We're sowing, we're sowing, constantly sowing. From our childhood to the grave, we're sowing. You sowed today. You sowed all this month. In fact, all this year, all your life you've sowed. What have you sowed? What have you been sowing? Don't be deceived, God's not mocked, he said. Whatever you sow. That's the good and the bad. But whatever you sow, you shall reap. He said, now don't be deceived about it. Don't think you can sow one thing and reap something else. Whatever man sows, that will also reap. He who sows to the flesh. Now what he's talking about. Well, we say this another, this is a figure, you don't. So literally to your flesh. And he's not talking about our skin. That's not what he's talking about. When he talks about the flesh, the Bible uses this word many times figuratively throughout the Scriptures to speak of our uh, physical passions, our desires, materialistic, worldly appetites, as opposed to the spiritual. Um, they may be things that, that are just worldly pleasures, of the kind that may not be wrong even in and of themselves, but it's not it's it's worldly materialistic as opposed to the spiritual. You know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians, who do a lot more sowing to the flesh, to the worldly things, that doesn't have anything to do with the, their spirituality or would help them in their spirituality. And they don't make Christ the center of their life, they make him the part of their life. 
Now you need to examine yourself, and if you are living a, a life that here you've got your job, and here you've got your family, and then you've got things along with family, ball and this, we run it all the time, aren't we? We run here, we run there, we do this and do that, and we do this with the community, and we do this in our harvest, and we do this with somebody else, and then down here is church, we say. You know, we put the, put the Lord down here. And who's in the center of all this is, is me. Is me, 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 us, 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 what we do. And we just have a little time for everything and a little bit of time for the Lord. Now, if we're doing that, if that describes your life, you're sowing to the flesh, my friend. You're going to reap what you sow. Jesus said, anyone wants to be my disciple, anybody wants to come and follow me, he's got to take up his cross when? Three times a week? Take up his cross daily, follow me. What does it mean, take up your cross? A lot of people have the mind that taking up your cross, well, that, that's a burden that you have to bear. Like, oh, poor Aunt Marjorie's got a bad back. You know, that's, that's her cross you've got to bear. Well, that's not what it's talking about. Not talking about a burden you've got to bear. When he talks about a cross, well, I'll tell you, when, when the Lord talked about a cross, people knew what he was talking about when he talked about a cross. When they heard a cross, they thought crucifixion. He's saying you've got to crucify yourself. That's what he's saying. You've got to do that daily. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. That's crucifying yourself, isn't it? Now what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 6. Didn't he say, I die daily? He says, not I that live, but Christ lives in me. He crucified self. If we're going to live for the Lord, we're going to soul to Him, make it Him, we've got to make Him the center of our life, not a part of our life. If we make ourselves the center of our life, we're sowing to the flesh. We've got to make Christ the center of our life, and whatever we do on the peripheral, if we've got time to do that, then we'll do that, but we're going to serve the Lord first. Because I want to sow not to the flesh. I think we're going to see that. We're not going to want to sow to the flesh. We want to sow to the Spirit. What do you want? Corruption or eternal life? I think Jesus is just that plain about it. So into the flesh is to devote our time, our energies, our words, all the scattering that we do to the pathway of life to worldly things. And we need to ask ourselves, what are we sowing? Because harvest time's coming, friend. It might come sooner than what we think. You know, some years that way. <laughs> I saw some corn yesterday. Hadn't been picked yet. Most people got the corn in. If they wait till it starts raining, going to have a hard time, especially where that was at. going to be a hard time to get combine in there or pick or whatever they're going to use. going to be hard to get in there and get it. They're late on some of it. A lot of people's late getting ready for the harvest. And Jesus said the harvest is going to slip up on some people. He said Matthew 24, it's going to be like the days of Noah. People are going to be married and giving in marriage. They're going to be eating and drinking. Just going along, sowing along in their daily life. And the Lord's going to come and they're going to reap what they sow and they've not sowed the right thing. It's an individual thing, people. Individual responsibility. You just go right down through here, and he's talking about me. He's talking to you. Wherever he says a man, he, the one, his own, the one, you just put your name there. 
He's talking to you. He's talking to me. Don't be deceived. God's not mock whatever a man. So, this will he also reap. For the one who sows to the flesh, to his own flesh, shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one, as you'll say, who sows to the Spirit, shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. What are we going to, what are we going to sow? God's going through this. Just doing this at home. I like doing it. I like printing it out and just writing it all up. You know, if I'm fine. Uh, Brother Robert Turner. I don't know if some of you ever met Brother Robert Turner. Brother Robert Turner instilled in me to not be afraid to mark your Bible. <laughs> he used to buy New Testaments by the case. And he'd take those New Testaments and he'd mark one up till he couldn't mark it up no more. And then he, when he got there, he said he couldn't throw it away. He'd bury them. <laughs> Good throw them away. Wrap them up and bury them. But it, when he'd just mark it up till he wouldn't, couldn't see it or till it wouldn't hold together, he'd get another one and start all over. Now, now we've got printers and you don't have to keep buying Bibles so much. But you can just print it out, mark it out, read. But I was doing this, and I'll come down right in here to corruption. It's easy to understand. I've said when you read this, you can get the gist of it. But I don't think sometimes if we just take and look up each word sometimes to do a little Bible study, that sometimes it brings things home. And this did for me. That made me understand some other passages. And it's nothing new. I mean, I'm not telling you anything. If it's new, it's not true, right? I remember sometimes I'd call Brother Rick Duggan down there. Uh, Rick really helped me a lot. You know, he's fixing to move. Fixing to move, I guess, moving this week to Knoxville. Call Rick, and I'd find something I had never seen before. He said, yeah, I remember about 10 years when I saw that, you know, 10 years ago. Busty bubble, you know. It's nothing, that's not new. <laughs> corruption. I thought, what is corruption? Well, I think we know what corruption is. Something that's rotten and stinking. Up there where we lived in Kentucky, some of the best deer hunting around. Uh, my boy just sent me a picture. Rocking chair head. He, he loves them. But I'm telling you, you can't hardly drive up there for him. State records killed just about just over the hill from me, where I used to live there in Kentucky. But they're always hitting those deer. Raid them in the summer, and they just got where they... They don't even pick them up anymore. They just take a truck and they dump this white stuff on them just try to keep the smell down. But every, you roll your windows up some of those rows because they're just going to be there, you know, and you smell it. That's kind of what's behind this word. You know, the Holy Spirit directed these men to use certain words to get across the point. There's a book that my wife got me on our 10th anniversary 20 years ago. And it's by Moulton and Middleton. And it's uh, called The Vocabulary of the Greek New Testament uh, According to the Papyri and Other Ancient Texts. And uh, all it is is a book that you can go to and find a New Testament word and see where it was used outside the New Testament. The Lord chose the perfect time to come when the language that the New Testament was going to be written in was the Koine Greek. And that's this means common Greek. It was the Greek that everybody spoke. And so sometimes it's good to go right outside the Bible and see how that common language is used. It helps you to understand the words that the, the Holy Spirit used in the New Testament. And I looked up in Moulton Milligan, and this word translated corruption, very interesting word, and 
It was found in the first century writings of the historian by the name of Plutarch. And many of you are familiar with Plutarch. Plutarch's Lives, you maybe had to read some of that when you were in high school. Or maybe, you, like me, you are supposed to read that when you were in high school and you read it afterwards, you know. But in his, he, he wrote biographies of people, different lives, Plutarch's Lives. And he wrote a biography about Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And it told this story, and we'll get to it in a minute, he'll talk about that word that's translated corruption. It, it has to do with a man by the name of Mithridates. Mithridates, there were several Mithridates through history, but this was a common guy. He was a, just a soldier in Xerxes' army, and they were fighting Cyrus the Younger, who was trying to take over the throne, and he was winning. In fact, he was, he'd won the victory of this battle, and he was going through, and he was very proud and saying, Back, you villains! And, and these people were falling at his feet. But this Mithridates guy, he didn't really know who he was, and he came back and stuck a dart in his temple. And he fell off his horse dead. Well, he took the horse. The news got to Artaxerxes. He was thrilled. But the king takes the glory. And so Mithridates were given great gifts, and the privilege of bringing the horse trappings to the king who overcome the enemy. And so he did that, and he was in, invited to this great banquet, and in his drunkenness, Mithridates boasted that he was the one, even though he was, he was the one who killed Cyrus, which wasn't a smart thing to do in the presence of the king, and the king determined that he would be executed. What's interesting, he, he told that he was to be executed in the boats. Now, to be executed in the boats, I didn't understand that. I had to read about that. But what it, make a long story short, it's a coffin type device, like two boats. You know what a coffin is? You've got a boat this way and a boat this way. And, but in this boat, uh, the hands and the feet and the neck, the head stuck out. But they lock him inside there. And here's how he was to die. Here, I'm reading from Plutarch. Listen for our word. Corruption. Plutarch describes the execution in this way. They would offer him food, and if he refused to eat it, they would force him to do so by the pricking of the eyes. And after he had eaten, they drenched him with a mixture of milk and honey, pouring it not only into his mouth, but all over his face. They then keep his face continually turned toward the sun till it becomes completely covered and hidden by a multitude of flies that settle upon it. And when in the boats, he does what those who eat and drink must needs do. Creeping things and vermin spring out of the corruption and the rottenness of the excrement. And these entering into his bowels, he is consumed. Man manifestly dead. Uh, the upper boat was taken off and they find his flesh devoured and swarms of noisome creatures preying upon him as it were growing into him. And in this way, Mithridates, after suffering for 17 days, at last expired. I don't read that to you to gross you out. I just want to read that to you to understand that the Holy Spirit directed the apostle to use that word. He who sows to the flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. Does that put something into your mind that you do not want a part of? He's not talking about 
literal corruption. All our bodies, physical bodies, will decay and undergo corruption. The righteous as well as the wicked. We return to the dust as we were, but our souls return to the God who gave it. And our destiny lies with Him. And He tells us that He will not be deceived, that He is not mocked, that whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. He who sows to the flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. And friend, that's not for 17 days, that's forever. Eternal corruption. We're not talking about the rotting flesh, we're talking about the corruption of a soul in eternity and a devil's hell. Now when I read that, that helped me to understand a little bit better. When I read Mark chapter 9 and verse 48, when Jesus said that the place of condemnation, eternal punishment, is a place where the worm never dies and the fire is not quenched. Does that help you understand that, Pastor? That's what comes to my mind. We're talking about eternal corruption. And he who sows the flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. If we could only realize it, just realize how terrible it'd be if we'd believe it, we wouldn't sow the flesh any longer. We wouldn't be making Christ a part of our life. We'd make Him our life and we'd serve Him totally and strive every day as we sow, and we sow every day, We'd strive to sow to the Spirit, not to the flesh. We'd be about God's work. And when we turn to passages like Romans chapter 1, and it tells us, I urge you therefore by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice unto God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He's talking about living every day. He's talking about what you're doing when you're sowing. Every day you live, that your life is to be a holy sacrifice unto God. You're supposed to be serving Him, worshiping Him, working for Him daily. How do you do that? He said, don't be conformed to the world. It's easy to be conformed to the world, isn't it? You conform yourself to the world and you'll sow to the flesh. i tell you what the world's doing. They're not interested in spiritual things. And you expect that from people in the world. They've not come to Christ, and they sold to the world. They don't care what they say. They don't care what, how they act. They don't worry. They're not concerned about how they dress. They're not concerned about what comes in on the television. They don't care. They don't care if it's vulgar. You know, there's a lot of Christians who don't care either. Oh, they won't act like they're sowing to the Spirit, and they may come in and sit on the pew every week. They take the Lord's Supper every week. Would not. Think about being there. But they leave the assembly of God's people and they go sowing to the flesh. Now you might fool people, but you don't fool God. Be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. He who sows to the flesh shall. Shall. Reap corruption. Don't think different. How you living? What about you? Just for example, watching television. You let that mess come in your in your in your home. Folks say, "Well, we send the kids to bed when that kind of stuff comes home." I'll tell you, friend, if it's not fit for a child to watch, it's not fit for a child of God to watch. Get up, turn it on. Somebody said, well, there's nothing else to watch. It's just a show. It's not just a show. It's vulgarity. It has an influence on you. Turn it off. 
That's just one example. We could go the rest of the night talking about that. But I think you get what we're talking about. Hardened sinner thinks he can get by. It's not going to happen. Turn with me just very quickly over to Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to look at this. We didn't have this down, but I want to look at it. Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, the great and the small. It's harvest time right here. There's a picture of it. I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things written in the books according to their deeds. Isn't that what he's saying? Whatever, good or bad, and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone's name who's not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Corruption. Eternal corruption. You say, well, how, how, how are you going to not reap what you sow? All of us sowed that things that are bad were all sinners. Romans 3, verse 26. All sin falls short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 10. None that are righteous, no, not one. How, how are you going to be righteous? How, how are you not going to reap what you sow? There's only one way. There's only one way. And that's through the sacrifice of Jesus. You see, through the blood of Jesus, we read in Acts chapter uh, 3, verse 19, that we have our sins blotted out, washed away. Repent and turn that your sins might be blotted out. And blotted out means completely done away with. You know, those little boys in the first century wrote... Their ABC, their alphabet of gummas. <laughs> They'd write them out, and they, they didn't have paper tablets. They just had a little wax tablet. And a little stylus, a little pointed stick, blunt on the other end. And they'd write, and if they messed up, they'd take the other end, and they'd roll that in there and blot it out, start all over. That's what's behind that word. Repent and turn that your sins might be blotted out, starting all over. Completely done away with. Whatever you sold in the flesh, and all of us have, all of us done things that are wrong and sinful, and therefore all of us are needed of the gospel. It's the power of God and salvation. Everybody needs it, I need it, you need it. Without it, we'll be lost, because all of us have sold to the flesh, haven't we? But through Jesus, we can have it all blotted out. You remember back there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 after he mentioned all those things and those folks are not going to, uh, who do these things are not going to enter the kingdom of God? You remember he said, and such were some of you? In verse 11. But you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. He said you were washed, cleansed, done away with. We need that. And once you do that, then you need to start living for the Lord. Or some people, they become a Christian, they have their sins blotted out. But like Peter said, they get the form, uh, purification of their former sins and start, they become short-sighted in their living and they start sowing to the flesh again. If you're here tonight and you need to repent of something that's in your life that's caused you to go back sowing to the flesh, don't reap corruption. 
John said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if you're willing to confess your sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Sowing to the flesh is unrighteousness. It results in corruption. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to do that, to have cleansing through Jesus' blood. If you've done that as a Christian, you've gone back to living like you ought not, sowing things that you ought not sow, you need to repent. Why? Because you want to reap, not corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And just as it's just as certain as the one who sows to the flesh shall reap corruption, it's just as certain that those who sow to the Spirit shall reap eternal life. When God says something, that's the way it is. And what you and I need to ask ourselves is what are we sowing? What are you sowing today? What will you reap? If the Lord came tonight and He says He's going to come with His mighty angels in flaming fire. And there's passages in the Bible that talks about the angels coming like reapers. Putting their sickle deep into this world. Men. He's going to take us all to judgment. That's the picture we looked at Revelation 20. That's going to be a wonderful day. Harvest day is fun. As you see all the things that you've done, and uh, I like growing a garden. Back when I had mules, we were talking about mules, uh, I'd get carried away and I'd have three, four gardens, and it wasn't so fun for Robin at harvest time as it was for me putting it out. But um, harvest time's fun, and you see all the, the fruit of your labor. For those who are ready for the Lord and been sowing to the Spirit, eternal life shall reap eternal life be a wonderful day. If you're here and you're ready, I want to encourage you to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your toil is not in vain of the Lord, you're going to reap what you sow. Sometimes they either get weary like you're talking about. He said, don't go weary and doing good. It's going to be a harvest. Lord, see to it. Even if you've got to be faithful in the, in the, in the face of death, as he told those at Smyrna in Revelation 2 and verse 10, You'll receive a crown of life. But if you're here and you've got sin in your life, my friend, make, make things right right now. Come where you at say, I want to be a Christian. I want to be baptized. This thing's prepared here. And Greg and other guys, they, they'll, they'll assist you, baptize you into Jesus. And your sins will be blotted out. Start all over. Start sowing to the Spirit. Look forward to eternal life. Don't reap corruption. If you've been living not like as you should, as a Christian. Make things right. If it's something public, come right now while we stand and sing the song. As I know.